you want to row with. I'm Rebecca Caro and I'm joined by Marlene Royal. Hello, Rebecca, and hello to our Faster Masters audience. Europe time. So this yes. week, first, it is, I'd like to apologize to people, including Andres Car Carazzo, who uh, put it in his diary uh, that the earlier time is the first of the month, because today is the 1st of April in New Zealand, and it's still the 31st of March in America, where he lives. Yes, but March is a long month, right? So... Five weeks in March, yeah. Yeah, it's a kind of April, April two this year, actually. When I was doing the Faster Masters program, I was like, oh, Saturday one, Saturday two, Saturday three, Saturday four, Saturday five, you know. There we go. So uh, my mistake, but having sent the email out and told everybody we were going to do it at this time, I really felt I couldn't roll back, but I will correct it in future if the first of the month falls on a Friday. I know. Well, we have to, you know, people have to understand we work across three or four different time zones at once. So, you know, we 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 go to great lengths. You know, we, it's it's very complex computer programming to try to meet the the most optimum time, the most optimum. That's really good English. Molly, there's no way you're putting the wool over people's eyes. Everybody <laughs> knows about worldtimebuddy.com. It is my best friend. Yes, but you know, last week, in case anybody was checking it out, last week World Time Buddy was off for two or three days, was off the air. Yes. I didn't so know that. Just I had to go to an alternate source. Very interesting. Yeah. There aren't very many websites that were there really on in the internet and are still going today. Um and if you're geeky enough, as I am, to enjoy checking out some of those things, uh, there's a great resource uh, called The Wayback Machine, where if you put in a URL, it shows you screenshots of what the website looked like um, back from when it was first founded. Cool. You How do you know find that? these things? How, why would I know about this? I'm a geek. Of course I know about these things. <laughs> now, now. For people who enjoy listening to our podcast, and we love having you along for the ride, if today there's anything that you hear that you think that was useful, that was helpful, it was something I could use in my own rowing, please consider becoming a supporter of the podcast. Go to fastermastersrowing.com forward slash podcast, and donations start at $1 a month. And we are extremely grateful to everybody who supports us, uh, because you guys make this possible. Now, this past week, the time in the show where we talk about the things that we're doing more broadly to advocate for Masters Rowing. I have been painting our club. That's not really advocating for the whole of Masters Rowing. But if you're in New Zealand, the paint was donated by Dulux, who have a scheme to support sports clubs. And you tell them how much paint you'd like. And if they consider you a worthy recipient, they give you the paint. That's cool. I think that's like awesome. Capitalize on that, New Zealanders. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, this past week, um, actually, a lot of masters rowing things in, in my life. Um, our club is getting ready for next season. So, you know, doing a lot of planning because, you know, our club is in our fourth year now. So, you know, we're starting to get experienced members. So, as we talk about all the time in our club management webinars and discussions that the needs change every year. So every year you have to decide, okay, now people are asking for 
some more workouts, starting to get some interest in competition. So, you know, so, you know, part of the group is moving up to another level. So, you know, that's kind of fun. Um, we did post our April Faster Masters content is now live for our subscribers. And so we have a nice program lined up for April. The training programs focus on 1K now. So we have we have one track for our um, athletes who are focusing on May, June peak, and then the August, September peak in North America. U.S. has just announced Masters Nationals in Sarasota today. Um, our strength program goes along with that accordingly. Our technique video, we discuss the path of the blade. Mm -hmm. And um, the reason I picked this video is actually because there's a clip in this video by Larry Gluckman, who does a really great demonstration on the dock. And Larry was a good friend of ours who passed away exactly one year ago. So I was thinking about him and, you know, wanted to put that in and just kind of honor Larry and think, think about Larry for a minute. And, um, and it's a really good technique video anyway. And um, our performance, Rebecca talks about the stages of learning and rowing lifestyle is a video of my famous simple buckwheat bread which was, by the way, our very first video that we posted in April of 2019, which was the first year and the first edition of Faster Masters. So kind of a little bit of reminiscence here. And then our rowing lifestyle, uh, not the rowing lifestyle, the uh, bonus content is an interview about row rowing through menopause um, that I did with, the, with Will Ruth of The Science of Rowing. That's going to be very interesting. Now, before we go on to a lot more, I just want to show you my beautiful photo of the week. This is from Polly Lauro, and it's a picture of his men's quad. He sadly doesn't say where it is, but if you're called Polly Lauro, I'm guessing you're probably Spanish. Um, but they look like they're all having a, a really good time. <laughs> Definitely looks Southern. It does, doesn't it? The Stroke Cycle is an ongoing series that we're starting on. Last week, two weeks ago, we kicked off. And today, we're going to be talking about two parts of the Stroke Cycle. Firstly, the release. And secondly, the body over. So let's kick off with what is the release? Is there any ambiguity here, like the catch, where a lot of people have different points of view about when and where and what it is? Yes, there is. I think, um, I think from from the biomechanist point of view, okay. In terminology, they define the release as the blade when it exits the water, which is differentiated from the finish, because the finish is a position. The, the, the finish is a, is a position of when the, the legs are completed, the body's completed, and the arms are completed. So I think sometimes these two terms get used interchangeably as the finish is the release, and et cetera. But I think you should separate them that the release is an action of the oar, and it's actually the action of the blade exiting the water. 
and the finish is a position. And, you know, I, I know when we did our rigging webinar with Volker Nolte, and we love to talk about this stuff with Volker Nolte, um, he was, you know, he was very clear about that. He's like, well, we define this as a, it, it is a point, it is a position, and the release is an action, so to speak. So I, I liked that, and I think that makes it clear because if you think of the release as the finish, you're not really finishing anything, are you? You know, you're, it, it's, I mean, the release is part of a, a sequence. So um, I think that, I think that was very helpful. So let's define the release as the movement that takes the ore out of the water. And yeah. it's in, in both sweep and sculling, it's enacted by your hands acting downward pressure on the handle. That's part of it. Yes. Go on. What am I missing? <laughs> well, I don't think you're, you're, I definitely don't think you're missing anything, but there is some confusion or I would say um, sometimes when we, we ask our, you know, rowers will do exactly what you ask them to do most of the time. So you have to, we have to pay attention to our language. Um, there is a motion that is changing the height of the handle, which is a downward motion, a weight over the handle. So 100% agreed. There is also a simultaneous motion, which is directing your weight into the orlock, to the pin, into the blade, which helps you hold pressure on the blade so that you can initiate that exit cleanly so, so that you minimize what we call wash. Um, if you stay in the in the water too long, you get that backwater onto your blade, and that's called wash, and you don't get you don't get the pressure, and your your blade gets stuck. So, I think what what confuses people sometimes is when you when you ask them to to tap down and to press down. I think they're too extreme about it instead of making sure that they're initiating that and then continuing the exit as as their hands are are making the j like like we have that video when rebecca demonstrates the j, the j stroke which i think is a really good drill for the release yeah so we have the downward movement of the hand which if this is my outside hand doesn't matter if it's sweep or sculling it's executed from my elbow well i have paint on my elbow I have been painting the rowing club this morning. If anybody was, was interested, this is what's been going on. Um, so the movement is like that. It's not your whole arm and it's definitely not your shoulder juggling Correct. up and down. So yes. it's a down and it's not this either. So no. if you want to make the movement, flatten your palm and put it over the top of something hard. You can just do it right now with a tabletop or on your knee and you're pushing down. It's got nothing to do with your fingers. It's this bit of your palm that's doing the pushing down. Yes, and I th and I think that's something that it can get it can get confusing because at that part of the stroke, there's a lot going on. The boat is building up speed. You've got to be really good about your timing to get to capture your full 
stroke length in the water, but not go past that point that's effective. You know, that's a, it's a tricky point depending on what, what the boat speed is um, and, keep, and keeping it all moving. I do think that there's one tendency and that is to rush it too fast. I don't think you need to rush it too fast. I think you simply need to, to, to stay with it and keep the motion continuous and, and let, let the boat speed kind of work for you versus trying to overwork it and trying to, um, you know, I am not a fan of fast hands away because I think you can be too fast away and you lose connection to the boat. I think you have to keep it moving and stay with the acceleration, but you also have to be aware of staying with the boat speed. I think one way to tell if you're uh, being too aggressive is if you can hear the oar clunking inside the oar lock, yes, um, you've probably pressed too aggressively, and and the oar sleeve is rattling inside mm -hmm. the oar lock. So listen, and you may be able to just have a call for quiet finishes and just yes. see if you can exit quietly. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think for for those people who row on the water without a coach or a self coach. Quiet oarlocks is one of the best things that you can do. Ab absolutely. Even though some people get kind of addicted to that clunk. They like that clunk. I, I hate I that clunk. It sounds but, aggressive and powerful. Yeah, yeah, but it's not. It's not doing anything to move the boat through the water. Just making you feel good. But you know, that's, it's your little shot of adrenaline, right? So, but, you know, quietness. And I, I think another thing to look out for at the release is to make sure especially if you can get somebody to videotape you, make sure that your collar isn't pulling out of the oarlock when you're about to make your release. This is a very, very, very common issue. Yeah. So if your oarlock is pulling out, that's telling us two things. Your weight is now completely on your seat. So you're kind of heavy in the boat. But... You're also kind of erging the handle into your body versus staying on the arc of the handle because the, the handle is moving in a circle and you have to maintain that arc as you take the blade out of the water. And if you start to pull the handle into your body straight or linear, you're going to pull that collar off, off your pin and chances are your boat's going to fall to to the opposite side. So that's something to look for. And, 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 you know, when I video, if I video someone from the stern, the first thing I'm, I, I look at is, is the collar staying in the orlock or are they pulling the collar out? And, and that loss of connection can really make a big difference for the release to mess it up, <laughs> make it hard. Yeah. It shouldn't be hard. It shouldn't yeah. be hard. The amount of pressure that you want to keep on the ends of your handle, if you're sculling, it's on your thumbs. And if you're sweeping, it's your inside hand pushing sideways. Uh, the amount of pressure, I describe it as you putting a drawing pin into a cork board. Uh, do you call them thumbtacks? So how yeah, much would you push? Just to, you just push it in and it, it's going to go in quite easily. So it's quite a light pressure. Yeah. And it it, it it's not about the amount of pressure. It's just the fact that the pressure is there that the the relationship is there that you're not losing the relationship with the boat my favorite drill for this is to open your oarlocks mm -hmm. 
and just row. If you're in a team boat, you can do this in a quad. You could do this bow pair and stern pair holds the boat or rows. You can in an aid in a sweep boat. You can you can do this by pairs. Um, open have one pair open their oarlocks and just row, and just keep it there. You know that that's one of the easiest drills that just helps you maintain that relationship because oarlock gates are a luxury. You tell that to Jamie Coven when his gate <laughs> popped open in the final of the World Rowing Championships. He'll remember the luxury moment. Well, but remember, we talked about this long ago. You, we, we even did, you even did that great feature about the Head of the Charles posters. And I told you that years ago, I remember distinctly seeing this poster, Head of the Charles poster with Harry Parker on it, rowing his single, racing his single in the head of the Charles, and he's rowing by Newell Boathouse, and his oarlock is open, and he is in the middle of the race. And I know we looked and looked and looked for it. We couldn't we couldn't find it in all the archives, but I clearly remember that poster in the Cambridge Boathouse in, in Cambridge, Mass. So if anybody sees it or knows about it, you know, take a picture and send it to us. I, I clearly remember that, but, you know, that was some years ago, too. Now, I want to talk now about when to time the release. How do you know when to start the downward pressure of releasing the oar from the water? And I'm going to give you, I'm not going to tell you the answer. So not very controversial because people know me well now. Um, but what I'm going to do is to give you a little drill to do to work out the optimal timing for yourself. So the drill is not particularly complicated what I'd like you to do is row and if you normally finish the stroke with your hand say a centimeter two centimeters in front of your shirt I want you just to row what you consider to be normal and what we're going to do is then progressively tap the finish out a little earlier so if if you say you finish a centimetre in front of your shirt normally, let's finish two centimetres in front and just row for at least 10 strokes. Then try three, so you're further away from your body when you start the downwards pressure of the release. And as you row, you're judging two things. One is the ease of the extraction, like as Marlene said earlier, how easily does the oar come out of the water? It should just happen. And secondly, if you want and you have a speed coach or a speed measurement device, you might want to have a look at wh whether the speed changes. I will say that you need to be at firm pressure and you need to be reasonably skillful, as in you can make 10 strokes of identical pressure and identical technique. Otherwise, don't put too much weight on the speed changes because you're doing something unfamiliar, you may just get erratic readings and they may not be very meaningful. So what you're looking for is how easily the oar comes out of the water and whether or not you can see any difference in your puddle. So when you look at the wake of water that is left when the oar comes out of the water, you're looking for a tight circle, not too splashy as we mentioned earlier. And you want that to be um, as clean as possible. So ideally, you don't want the oar like dragging out of the water. 
so that your puddle like becomes more of a teardrop shape um, because the ore hasn't come out vertically. It maybe started to feather or you're not tapping down in one single movement. And so the ore drags a little bit. So nice, tight puddles with a, a swirl in the center. Have you ever done this drill, Marlene? Oh, oh yes, I have. I have, and actually, well, I, I would say, um, I would, I would define that there was a a moment in time when I would say that I learned how to row. Like I remember the moment, the place, where I was, what I was doing, and I was exactly doing this drill. I was exactly doing this drill because my coach kept and and. Um, I, to make it even a little more mystical, I, I was quite honestly, I was rowing on the Sea of Galilee when this happened. And, and my coach told me because I, I was training in, in Tiberias in, in Israel and that winter. And um, my coach just said, you know, just, I don't know, just, just go play with the release. I was really tired that day. I was really tired. It was kind of a rest day. And I was just, uh, and I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll go. To, he's like, just go play with the release. See if you can make, make the boat go faster through that transition. And I just honestly went out and I was like, well, what if I take it out here? What if I take it out here? What if I take it out here? What if I take it out a little sooner? And I was just playing with that timing. And then all of a sudden I'm thinking, it must be because I'm rowing on the Sea of Galilee. Um, all of a sudden, honestly, the boat speed just went up very, very dramatically. And, and then I realized where the release point was. Um, and, and that's kind of that, that day um, I was rowing back in, into the boathouse and the coach, the coach said to me, ah, you learned how to row today, didn't you? I didn't say a word. I didn't say, I wasn't even rowing hard. You know, it was just kind of like an active rest day. And, um, but yeah, that, that was exactly how I found it. And I, and it was like such a market. And, and I had just to make people feel better. Um, I had already sculled for 20 years at this point. Okay. So either I'm like no, an no, no. And, and a very you're... slow learner. But you know what? That that's just one of one of those things. When we've we've talked about this before, it's one thing when somebody tells you what they want to see. It's another thing when they help you or you figure out what what you need to do. Um, so if if somebody is stressing that it's taking them a season or two to learn something, like don't worry about it. <laughs> don't feel bad. You know, I have like, another 18, 18 years yeah. to go. <laughs> But, but that's exactly the drill. That's exactly the drill that I was working on. And, and I just kind of started to nail that timing with the leg drive and the exit. And, you know, I kind of started thinking, oh, push, push it out with my feet. Like people think that sounds really funny, but I was like, last push on the foot stretcher, the blade's coming out, you know, that's it. Let's go. So and definitely one timing point that a, a few people don't pay too much attention to is the pressure under the sole of your foot against the foot stretcher and so if you can feel when you're you're leaning back and you're finishing off your power you've used up most of your legs you're using up the last bit of your arms 
if you can feel that tiny, tiny release where you can no longer push on the foot stretcher, that's actually your release point. But it's quite hard for people to find that point through noticing pressure on their feet. It's easier for them to experiment with the tap out timing. But that is actually the real, I think, the full correct. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. You have to have you have to have both. You can't lose. You can't lose. If you lose connection with the feet, you've lost the connection with the handle. So, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, we won't go into it because that'll be our next phase. So when, you know, we're that, that's another phase, but, um, but yes, it, it's very, it's very definite. And Astrid asked, did you ever lose that feeling or point again? No. And oh, like who would want to, <laughs> you know, that was, no, I knew it. Once I knew it, it was like, I know, I, I know this, I know this, you know, and, and I have to say that, you know, at that point I, I had been sculling for 20 years and I have been sculling for, that was in um, January of 2001. So I've been sculling another 22 years since then. So no, no, no. Once I got it, I'm like, no, I'm not letting this go. <laughs> I'm so tempted to do the religious thing and say, you know, and did a beam of light come down from God oh, above gosh. and strike you and go, Marlene, you will learn the timing of the release. <laughs> you will learn it. And, you know, but think, you know, weird things used to happen. Like, don't honestly, one of my time trials, you may not believe this. One of my time trials was from the Jordan River to Capernaum. Okay. And that was an 18, it was a no, a 20 kilometer trial at eight stroke rate 18. Oh my God. And from have... this now, now I, I had a, a coach that, that had been a coach in the Soviet Union um, from this time, they could extrapolate your 2k time, like incredibly, yeah. incredibly um, accurately. But that was one of my trials. Um, there were things that used to happen. Like you would be sitting, you would stop for a rest and you would be sitting you'd take a drink of water and then you'd look up and you were completely turned around the other direction. That used to happen. And then the first time I heard this big explosion in the air, I thought, Oh my Lord, you know, cause you know, you see the mountains there and like Syria's on the other side of you know, Damascus is on the other side of the mountain. And I thought, Oh my God, what was that? That was the first time I heard a, a, a jet go through the sound barrier. And I was out on the water all by myself. And I was like, ah, Oh my gosh. Anyway. I trained there for a few winters years ago. It was a, a beautiful place to row, but very mystical water. Um, storms could blow up in yeah. 10 seconds. Like the old, the old timers at the club would say, you can't go on the water right now. And we'd say, why? The water's absolutely flat. They're like, you can't go on the water right now. And then in 15 minutes, the water would be like white caps. You know, it was you know, very, very changeable, very, and it's the lowest place on earth that you can row. It is the go. lowest body of water that you can row on. It's below sea level, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite far yeah. below sea level. So it was, it was very, very interesting, very, very beautiful, very beautiful place to train. But, um, but that's where I learned the release timing and Rebecca's drill is exactly how I learned it. And I was like, oh, we need okay. to do a, an episode about mystical rowing experiences. Yes, yes, yes. Well, we've had mm -hmm. some, you know, when you spend yeah. as much time on the water, I think as we had, you know, things are bound to happen. <laughs> so, 
I'm thinking of Christ in the bow of the uh, sleeping in the bow of the fishing boat and then calming the waters. There you go. Now, the second part of today, we're going to talk about the body over. And of course, after the ore has released from the water, we need to then transition our weight back onto our feet. And this is the portion that I would like to call the body over because it is initiated with your arms, with your handles and getting your arms straight before you pivot from the hips and get your body over is the correct sequencing. What observations do you have of things that people might want to work on in this sequencing, Marlene? Well, I think making sure that, I mean, how you sit on the seat is very important here. And, and, and I know we've, we've talked about that, but making sure that you're not laying back too far at your release, you know, that you're not slipping out of the orlock. Okay. If you're too long into your release, you're too long into the finished position, that makes it very difficult in the sense of timing for you to get your hands out and get your body over in time in the stroke cycle. Because if you lay back too far and you're, you're too long into the release, you miss that timing of getting, getting the hands away. So I think Rebecca's comment about making sure you don't lose the connection of your feet. Okay, if you've lost the connection of your feet, you're probably too far. So you don't want to lose that connection to the foot stretcher. And I think keep it keep it simple. Focus on maintaining the handle speed and the and the and the sequence. I I I don't think you need to over overthink it, but you do have to to stay in sequence and keep just keep things moving. Albeit they don't have to be moving any faster than the boat is going, but you do have to stay in motion. Yeah. We have a rule that the speed into the finish, the handle speed mm. into the finish equals the handle speed away from the finish. So if you're rating 18, it'll be in proportion. And if you're rating 30, it'll be obviously in proportion. Correct. Correct. Now, the one thing that I see an enormous number of masters doing wrong is they are releasing the blade from the water and before their arms are fully straight, so they like have bent arms, they've already started to rock forwards on the shoulders. And keeping the arms going straight first and then the body is something that we locally, we call this keep the separation, separation of arms straight first and then body over. And let's be absolutely clear, of course, there is a blend between these two. You're not going to mechanically just push your arm straight. And then there's a distinct end to that movement before the body swing begins. That's what we used to call rowing by numbers. We go one, mm -hmm. two, three. Right. But the blend has to be after your arms are pretty much nearly straight. And the feeling that your shoulders are behind your hips that you you should still feel that you're leaning backwards as you push your handles away whether you're in sweep or sculling it it the feeling should be the same you should genuinely feel that you're still leaning backwards in your finished position as your hands go away and it's a really really important part of the stroke for setting up rhythm if you blend this too much if you rush off the back if you don't separate 
you'll find it extremely hard to set a rhythm and to get sufficient contrast between the power phase and the recovery phase. Yes, I, I think that's a good point. I, I think when you arrive at that finished position, you have to you have to stabilize your your back, your legs, pressure on the foot stretcher. You have to stand into the OLAC. You have to stabilize your weight so that you can make that transition with the handle and the arms and the arms coming away and make sure that you have that separation and that you're not, it's not an all-in-one motion out of out of the bow and um you know i think if you've got it if you've got limited range of motion swinging over the hips which which many masters athletes do um you know it, it just it, it might be age it might be due to an injury um even if you have limited body over or ability to rock forward focus on the arm extension focus on getting the arms away nice and long get the arms away from you as far as you can and then rock over to the point that you're comfortable but if you focus on on the long arms away you know that's a really key part of the sequence and then how much body angle you get is just it's it's just going to be up to your structure you know you you do what you're comfortable with without overstretching and without putting yourself in a really compromised position if you don't have much rock over which sometimes happens just get the arms away and then just focus on shifting your weight to the front of the seat you know just try to get the weight of the shoulders ahead of the hips you know i think that's you know do the best you can from that point of view but but i think rebecca's point of really focusing on long arms away you know if you cut off that arm length you're you're going to cut off your stroke length when you put the blade in the water yeah definitely so. length 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 in the water is all comes from how much um reach you get at the finish mm -hmm. with regards to the focus on the arms going straight first one way to think about it and and you could train yourself to do this quite easily on an erg with a mirror is let the arms go straight and when they cannot go any straighter they will pull your body forward so you're not actively moving your body kind of feel like it's being pulled along by the arm straightening movement and so you can't in theory rock your body until after your arms are fully straight and if you're coaching or working with a partner and you want to practice this, if you hold the handle of the erg while they're sitting in their finished position, so have them sit at the finish with the handle next to the shirt, and then you say, right, now start to straighten your arms, and you just start to quietly pull the handle away from them as they straighten their arms, and then you say, right, and let me pull your body forwards. And they get the feeling that, they don't actually have to do much activation to make that movement, that actually the momentum of the handle, you, you redirect the momentum of the handle from coming towards you to moving away from you, and then it naturally pulls your body forwards. So you, can, you don't have to force it. Correct, correct. And another way to, there's another way to think about that. That's one, for some people, Another way to think about it may be, you know, focus on the arms away and that little bit of shift of weight on your seat. But think about your hips going to the bow. 
you know, for some people that works better rather than thinking of their shoulders moving to the stern. They like to think of their hips going to the bow because when your hips go to the bow, you're helping to send the boat a little bit. It's the same motion, mm. but different intention. So um, one might work better for you than the other one. But, mm. you know, there is, you know, in the old time scholars, they used to think hands away, hips to the bow, hands away, hips to the bow. So that so that they were sending mm. the boat forward rather than backwards, so to speak. They're thinking in the direction of the boat. So, but, you know, it, you're accomplishing the same thing. But if you actively think, you know, okay, my hands come, get my hands away from me as far as I possibly can, and then swing my hips, you know, and then just sh shift my weight, my point your butt, <laughs> your seat to the bow, you know, mm. the boat's moving under you. It's going to draw you into a body, body over position, but it's just another, it's just a different frame of reference and either one can work equally successful, successfully. Yeah. As a teacher, it's often useful to think about, as Marlene's described, the alternative frame of reference, because some people may well engage with that better than your first explanation. So if someone isn't getting it, try thinking about how do I invert this instead of, um, thinking about the body moving towards the stern of the boat, right? Let's think about the boat moving in its forward direction. How would I describe that mo movement? So we've got two exercises for you to practice this week. The first is the release timing. And I really hope that someone is on the Sea of Galilee recreating the Marlene Royal experience. <laughs> so you can have a little sign that goes, this was where Marlene learned to row. Yes, I know where it was. It was right near the Tiberius Hot Springs. <laughs> there we go. And your second practice is to separate more of the finish. Take your time. Feel that there is plenty of time for you to fully straighten your arms before you rock the body over. And again, look at the speed of the boat. Feel in yourself the sensation of the balance of the boat. Do you feel that the boat is moving on nicely when you just sit there and let it run? They talk about letting it run. While you're letting it run, straighten your arms and, and push your arms out straight with a very, I often say to people, imagine the coach is here and has got their hand on your elbow and they're pushing your elbow in so that it straightens your arm. And try and see if you make if that makes a difference to how you feel the boat is moving. Because it's really about you, your perception of what is happening. And the joy of refining your sculling stroke is very much about having these little experiments where you try and, it's like a pendulum thing, try and do it, try and do it too much and then come back to a kind of midpoint. But mm -hmm. You can't figure out that midpoint unless you get good at observing and listening to how the boat feels and sounds. You can't see anything because you're in the boat you know you can't see yourself rowing unless someone is videoing you so your own ability to hear and feel is a sensation that you can train yeah absolutely and it's fun you know it's fun and and if you have a, a speed device it'll give you feedback and you know and when you see the boats moving a little bit quicker that's the way we want it to go a little bit quicker would be great, actually. Yeah, yeah we'll take it. Myself. 
I definitely would dig a little bit quicker. Yeah, even a lot quicker, but you're already fast. You're already fast, but a little quicker. It is. I'm writing some articles at the moment, uh, which we're going to be putting into our rowing advocacy page. If anybody hasn't yet got this, we offer an article a month for you to take and put onto your club website or into your club rowing newsletter. Um, the only thing we ask is that you uh, put a credit to say that it, we wrote it. Uh, so if you want those, um, there are already 12 months worth sitting on a page at fastermastersrowing.com forward slash advocacy. And you just put your email address in and it'll email you one article every 30 days, I think. Um, more than that, though, we're writing, obviously, the, the ones for next year uh, or the upcoming 12 months, I should say, because it's probably this current year. And I was spending a lot of time trying to figure out how to explain some of these concepts and to make them clear, but also to make it fun. We've got to be able to have fun challenging ourselves to think in a slightly different way or try something different, which might be a little unusual. You might discard it, but at least you can say you tried. Yeah, have fun. Go slow. <laughs> go slow. Yeah, when, go it, when in doubt, right? When in doubt, right? When in doubt, slow down. And remember, if you can't do it slow, you can't do it at all. So. <laughs> That's true. Now, I realize I've completely forgotten to do our sponsor's message. So uh, this oh. show is brought to you this week by the Rowing Directory, which is listings of all the rowing businesses you will ever need, from boats to electronics and clothing to gifts. There are new listings on this month from KPC Video Analysis, FWD to Row, uh, which is uh, the number two, Lake Ridge Rowing, who are make gifts they cut up old pocock wooden shells uh, to make furniture and other bits of, of rowing boat memorabilia the rowing parts supply company in the usa which i think pretty much does what it says on the tin and the rowing concierge where you can book yourself a 20 minute uh, question and answer call with someone who's more experienced and get some answers to find the rowing directory go to www rowing.chat and click on the menu link that says directory righty ho i think that's that's the end for this week any last words marlene no i think we covered a lot of territory it's 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 working out to be quite fun i'm i'm now really looking forward to working <laughs> our way through the rest of the stroke cycle in <laughs> microscopic increments i know when when we go back and and uh, years and years years ago, um, when when Rowing News magazine started, and it was called Independent Rowing News back then, and and uh, when it started, I started with them in 1999, and and we thought, well, how long can we keep writing about rowing? <laughs> you know, how much can we think of? And you know, if if I look back, you know, since 1999, at at that time. Um, the magazine published every, it was two issues a month, and then then it then it went to monthly. But you know, here we are, twenty two years later, still producing. And you know, every month we continue to produce, and every week we come up with topics for podcasts. So, 
you know, it, it's all a question of, you know, your, your limitation is your creativity, really. You know, there's, there's a lot to talk about. And I think with master's rowing, it's even a larger field because we have all the other life issues that overlap with performance. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about all that stuff at the U.S. Rowing Conference on Saturday. Yeah, hopefully we'll see a few of you there. So this has been Faster Masters Rowing Radio, the show dedicated to masters athletes who want fun, fitness and confidence in their rowing. You can become a student of the sport by buying a Faster Masters Rowing program subscription today. Go to fastermastersrowing.com forward slash join. Till next time. Bye bye. <laughs>